This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from experts across the U.S. Ringler Associates, celebrating 35 years of successfully helping injured people and their families. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're certainly glad you could join us again today. Well, today on Ringler Radio, we're going to be looking from a defense attorney's perspective on the importance of having a broker present at the settlement table. And joining in that discussion is my longtime Ringler colleague and friend, Tom Murray. Tom is an associate in our New York City office, also does some work in Fairfield County, Connecticut. And Tom began his career in claims and structures back uh, in the 1969 arena. He's worked in the settlement annuity field since 1981. Tom, it kind of sounds like it mirrors my career. <laughs> Welcome to Ringler Radio. Good morning, Larry. It's good to be back on on board again. Look forward to talking with Henry also. Yes, absolutely. And of course, Tom is speaking about our special guest, who's attorney Henry Demers, partner with the firm Amity Demers and McManus. Uh, in Long Island, New York. And uh, Henry's got over 30 years with the firm. And uh, that firm is a a firm I've known for a long time. Uh, They do a lot of work in complex insurance coverage issues and also high exposure cases in the areas of product liability, labor law, transportation, environmental, and general liability. Really the gamut of of the insurance defense uh, experience. And uh, Henry, I want to welcome you to Ringle Radio. Well, thanks very much for having me on this morning. I've Thanks I've known you. Yes, I've known your partner Phil McManus for a number of years, and uh, I really respect your firm. Well, Henry, uh, often we think of structuring a settlement mainly from the plaintiff's point of view, but I know it's also important on the defense side, obviously. So tell us about that. Well, the defense side is really uh, the only side I've ever looked at it from. Really, um, we um, we see it as uh, and I've I've been practicing for a longer time than structures have been around, so mm-hmm. I've seen it I've seen it uh, come on the horizon, and it's provided us with a very interesting and important alternative to uh, uh, to a lump sum settlement to resolve a pending suit. Uh, so it's become another arrow in our quiver, another weapon, and uh, also provides us with uh, a means to uh, invite uh, the other side to the negotiating table to open negotiations and to um, show them that we can, rather than just throw a sack of money at them, to uh, to, to uh, shape the um, you know the kind of return that they get on a settlement and maybe uh, develop some kind of financial security or really you know satisfy some particular needs that they have in uh, some economic and financial needs that they have uh, that can be uh, satisfied through settling a a liability suit. Sure, it sounds great. Well, Henry, we've worked side by side on a number of cases, and we were talking about what the roles are in preparation for discussions for mediation or for uh, court appearances. Where do you feel the, the broker fits in to the program, and how do we prepare ourselves for that? What role do you want us to play 
at the mediation or at the settlement conference? Well, obviously, um, this could be a long answer, but I'll give you the shorter, <laughs> the shorter answer. The, the process probably kicks off when the defense attorney uh, and the client or the insurance claim representative decide they, they want to try to settle the case where there's an opportunity that's presented itself and the discussion arises as to whether or not a, um, a structured settlement is, is something that's appropriate to resolve that particular case, uh, then there's a the discussion of whether a broker should get involved and who. Uh, and uh, Tom, as you know, I've gone to you quite a number of times, more than I, more than I can remember. Um, and once the contact is made, I like to, I like to try to uh, work with the broker directly uh, there are times when the claim representative likes to do that. Um, I get um, I get medical records out to uh, the um, the broker to review. We discuss uh, the the uh, the background of the case to give the broker uh, some sense for uh, needs that can be uh, targeted uh, in a structure. Uh, we also discuss. Uh, the potential for getting a, a lower rated age to get a preferential rate on the structure so that I can bring something to the table to the client and say that uh, a structure is a more economical way potentially to try to settle the case. So that's what goes on uh, before we actually get to the table. Um, I don't know if you wanted me to get into uh, the actual process itself of, of the settlement. And well, I, I do want you to do that, but I want to ask you kind of a, a an interruptive type of question, and that is, when do you think the, the broker should be in getting into the process? I know some defense lawyers and even some claim representatives wait to the last minute to bring in the broker. Other times we're in uh, at the earliest stages of the case, uh, in like notice of the case we get involved, we, we, we get notice of it and we diary it ahead. But from your perspective, at what point in the, in the process does the broker make the most sense to get involved? Well, there's no single answer to that. Uh, and it's very much driven by a number of factors. And obviously, um, in the, in the life of litigation, uh, as the information is developed in the course of discovery and what have you, uh, you, you get an idea of what your particular clients, the party you're defending, what their, what their liability is and what their exposure is. There may be any number of defendants involved, but in a, um, in a, in a let's say, in a one-on-one -on -one case where uh, you have a pretty clear idea of liability, uh, and it's a case that uh, there is a definite incentive on the part of the insurance carrier or the self-insured defendant to want to try to settle early, and there's, uh, there's, uh, there are good reasons for that. Uh, that would be a good time to talk about how you're going to approach settlement and, and uh, involving a broker. Mm -hmm. And even if the case does not settle early, there have been many cases where, uh, as I said before, an offer can be floated in the way of a structure that is, that is um, uh, not uh, not a obviously not a top dollar offer, but it's it's a way to provide some kind of a working a template for the plaintiff to come back and serve as a basis for future negotiations. And even if it doesn't settle in that early time frame, as the case matures somewhat, there's already some groundwork that's been laid to come back to that. To well, it gets you know, it also gets enhanced with the needs analysis that's going on as discovery continues. And the, the more we build 
the puzzle together going forward, the more continuity that template will have when we get to the table. And I know that, Henry, you've shared a lot of stuff uh, before we get to the table on some uh, actual case examples with folks to set that tone. So when we come in, this, this concept of structured settlement is pretty well set in stone when we get there, and you've conditioned plaintiff's counsel to that. Yeah. Is there, a, is there an example, uh, Henry, that you can point to to kind of give our audience a perspective? Uh, the thing, the, the case goes along and, and perhaps a, a life care plan appears from the plaintiff and that analysis is done by someone like Tom and then that adds to the process and maybe a new offer takes place. Or How, how does that work? G- give us an example of how, how it worked with maybe with you and Tom on a case. Well, that's, you know, that's definitely... Um that's definitely one approach where you can, if if you have uh, if you have that information to work from, I think that uh, a much more sophisticated structure can be developed that is that is really uh, appealing to the plaintiff. Uh, and uh, one of the things that I that I probably should mention at this point is uh, when we're talking about um, getting using the structure as as a means to settle a case. Um, the, the typical way that we see this playing out uh, currently is uh, is in mediation. It's in a mediated context. So you have an, a, an impartial uh, third-party mediator who uh, brings the parties together, and um, there is something to be said for having a neutral in the room mm-hmm. and having a structured settlement uh, broker present uh, who is able to um, who is able to actually develop and print out uh, tailor-made. Uh, structure quotations for consideration right in that right in that room. But uh, Tom and I have been involved in a number of cases where we've been able to have a private settlement um, meeting with the plaintiff's attorney and his client present in the room. Now, this does happen in mediations where the broker is invited into the room with the plaintiff's attorney and his client to discuss. Uh, a lot of informational things that the attorney may be either too embarrassed to admit to his client that he right. does not know or uh, isn't sure of and doesn't want to encourage his client to accept the structured settlement because he is not really well informed. And that's mm-hmm. really that's really important. And that's a very important uh, role for uh, the broker to play. And um, I, I particularly like scenarios and, and, and particularly uh, working, having worked with Tom, who really showed me his magic in in, um, in in really explaining a structured settlement to a plaintiff's attorney, probably a less sophisticated attorney and an even less sophisticated client who just wants to um, take the cash and stuff it in a mattress. Exactly. And, you know, we're all dependent on good mediators, too, to help <clears throat> that process along. Absolutely. We have some very good mediators here in, in uh, the New York area that are really embracing structures as, as a tool. And uh, the approach that Henry's talking about of getting in the room with the, the plaintiff and the attorney, it also helps the plaintiff attorney develop a comfort level in that he's now participating in the building of the template for the ultimate structure. So it takes some of the adversity out of the situation where the common denominator is back to the plaintiff and how do we get the best deal for them. Yeah, especially when the plaintiff attorney certainly has the settlement in mind on that day. Uh, Some don't, but those that do and and that embrace what you're talking about, uh, that often leads to a a good result. I think, if I may, I I think something Tom just said really deserves to be highlighted because 
very often a plaintiff's attorney is, is focused on the the cost of the structure and they'll make a demand and this is the way this is the way they approach a case and they'll make a, a, a you know a demand of a fixed sum of money and they're very they're very uh, obsessed with the money that goes into funding the the structure the annuity that's going to throw off the payments from the structure whereas the plaintiff has certain financial obligations and liabilities etc that he has in mind that really fit that fit the structure a lot better than a lump sum, which he really can't fathom other than spending a, a given sum of money on something. Uh, and I think what Tom is saying is there's been the, the highest success rate in settling a, a case by a structured settlement is when the plaintiff actually is looking over Tom's shoulder on his laptop computer and seeing the numbers get plugged into things that he knows makes sense for his his you know financial obligations right. going forward up to possibly retirement. Once you get him past that adversarial uh, retribution mindset of getting his pound of flesh in litigation and looking at it realistically as money that will be available to him, this stream of money, uh, and involve him in that process, I think the case is well on the way to settling. And that's that's a really important part of it. Doesn't always happen, but I really uh, try to involve the plaintiff. Uh, and and of course, sometimes plaintiffs' attorneys don't allow their clients to become involved in the process because it's a powerful process. No, no question about it. What in your years as a defense attorney, what kinds of cases uh, have, in your your opinion, been the best for a structured settlement involvement? Well, children, I assume, and other cases. Uh, well, the infants' cases because. The money has to be put away until they're 18. That's mm-hmm. that's a pretty much a given. Uh, but a lot of you know the, the higher exposure cases uh, in New York, we have labor law cases where you are faced with the potential for absolute liability for uh, falling workers and falling objects, and you know you're going to have a significant exposure uh, cases where um, you have special needs or where an individual. Uh, is no longer employable and is losing an income stream. Uh, death cases. Um, there, there are any number of cases, but I think any case that has uh, a, a, you know, reasonably serious uh, monetary exposure is a candidate for uh, for a structure. A case where you have an older um, an older plaintiff is not always necessarily. Uh, well suited, but there there are situations where we've settled cases with older plaintiffs because of certain family situations, and a structure has worked out. Well, yeah, we I have found over the over the years that uh, older folks who are let's say typically in, involved in receiving Social Security benefits, for example, on a monthly basis, can be piggybacked with a structure on a monthly basis, and it kind of it's the way they live their life, it's the way they 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 manage their lives, and right. it can be shown uh, to be uh, important for them as well, and. What about the, those times when you've gone to mediation and there has been no broker there with you? I mean, have you found that's a little tougher to deal with? Uh, would you rather have the broker right there with you? Absolutely. The, um, there are um, there's, there's really no substitute for that. Uh, I found myself over the years in situations where you, you don't always anticipate uh, opportunities to settle until you get to the trial or you, you are on trial and uh, you're kind of scrambling. And oh, I know all defense attorneys have been there, uh, but I've been in situations where 
some clients of ours who do not use uh, private brokers and do it in-house. Uh, and I have to say that I don't have anything, I honestly don't have anything good to say about that process because uh, the, uh, the individuals who are employees of the insurance company who are who are writing these structures up, and typically I think they're, they're, they're limited in terms of who can write the annuity, um, who can underwrite it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's not especially competitive. Uh, there's a lot of suspicion on the plaintiff's side, but uh, I think that the magic of a structured settlement is gone because not only do you lose the potential of involving in a very active way the attorney and, and or his client, but you also... Um, you're also limited in terms of the imaginative process that can be that can you know evolve in settlement discussions. Where if a structured settlement broker is sitting right there and there's a perceived need, I mean you're doing basically an on-the-spot needs analysis. Whereas with the in-house broker who is not present either in the courtroom or in the mediation room, uh, you're calling him up. He's faxing you a, a more or less plain vanilla type of structured mm-hmm. settlement quote, you're the, you're the person who's trying to um, input uh, information regarding uh, things that might be an enticement to the plaintiff to settle certain features, uh, and they're very often resistant to that, where you want to put in a certain feature uh, that, uh, that the plaintiff might find attractive. They're not usually flexible enough, or, and you can't respond quickly enough. So, well, that, that, that's right, and what you're really saying in a nutshell is... Uh, like in most things in life, the skill of the broker is critical. Absolutely. Well, I, I think that what we can bring to the table is that as, as Henry or any any defense attorney is also concentrating on the litigation at hand, we're an extra set of ears and eyes to listen, watch for tells coming out of plaintiffs to say, we've just scored a point and this is something that we want to zero in on. So we become part of the defense team. And I, I think that's some of the impact we bring that as the attorney is concentrating on, on getting the case settled. We listen for something different and say we could use this to our advantage. And we also dispel the rumor that we don't have a dog in the fight, that we're there as a bridge builder to try to listen to both sides. And I, I think we can just we just augment and, and really rely on each other to put these packages together as information develops. When Henry said on-the-spot needs analysis, that really happens in some mediations where we're getting new discovery information that we didn't have previously. We can react to that and just get out another proposal immediately. No question about it. Well, let's take a quick break right now and uh, come back in a minute and further discuss the issue of defense attorneys and brokers and how they can relate trying to settle cases. We'll be right back with Henry Demers and Tom Murray. This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for 35 years. Ringler Radio is celebrating its sixth year right here on the Legal Talk Network. Produced by broadcast professionals. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com or legaltalknetwork.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. Since 1975, Wrangler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to all parties involved in the settling of physical injury claims. Experience counts. 
Over 23 billion in structures benefiting 166,000 injured individuals and their families. And one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. We invite you to listen to other shows on the Legal Talk Network. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Did you know Ringler Radio is one of the top three rated shows in iTunes? Thanks to all of our listeners who download all the Ringler Radio shows. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you joined us. And I'm joined by my colleague Tom Murray from uh, New York. And attorney Henry Demers, partner with the firm Amity Demers and McManus from Long Island, New York. Uh, Henry, we've been discussing the defense attorney's perspective on having a structured settlement broker present at the settlement table. Uh, And obviously, you do a lot of settlements. Uh, Have you ever been involved in a a trial setting or a a verdict setting where after the fact you've uh, settled a case on, you know, on appeal with using a broker and a, and a structured settlement? I can't think of one offhand. I know I've done I've done a number of these, but in terms of an example, uh, not really. Um, I think most of the ones have settled, um, you know, as opposed to, uh, are you referring to 50B? Yeah, some of the 50, especially kind of in New York, you have the 50B issues. I have uh, not issues. structured any judgments, I have to say. I, can't, I, have, I don't have that experience. Well, Tom, I'm well, sure you've been involved in quite a few. Well, that's one of the problems in New York with 50A and 50B. The law itself uh, came on the books in 1986, but it was flawed from the beginning. There have been several attempts to straighten it out, but it remains broken. And I think that's the safest way to put it, that it's broken. Uh, 50A has been amended to uh, increase the upfront cash portions on a verdict uh, and then go line items of 35% cash and then an annuity formula that, that holds true. But the difficulty is is that if a life market misses a payment, they are obligated to make a full acceleration of the benefit. And example being, if you have a $5 million projection of benefits and a life company fails to make a payment, a case could be made that the full $5 million is now due and payable mm. because you're not in compliance with the CPLR. Uh, for the most part, cases are that go to verdict and you do your 50B hearing, they're then negotiated and maybe there's a reduction off the verdict to get the case settled under a standard release settlement agreement qualified assignment. Uh, over the 20-some-odd years that those laws have been on the books, there's probably been five or 10 maybe that have really gone to a 50B hearing and then a satisfaction of judgment is entered based on the law. Henry, are you finding still the percentages of uh, most cases are settling? What's the what's the percentage? 90% of the cases you're dealing with are settling and 10% are trying? Well, I don't I don't um, 
don't know uh, what the actual statistic is, and I don't even know if anyone has them, but I, I recently read somewhere that only about 2% of all litigated cases actually go to verdict. Now, of those cases, um, of the, the remaining 98%, I would say uh, a, a significant percentage of those are settled before trial. I know the cases that I handle uh, very frequently, um, I would say um, maybe 40% or so or 30% settle very shortly before a trial or during trial. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the vast majority of cases do settle before verdict. No question about it. I want to spend the rest of the uh, time here on a, on a very uh, timely topic. And Henry, I'm sure that as you've been involved in mediations lately, uh, one of the complicating factors you've seen is the involvement of these new Medicare rules um, around uh, whether it's set-asides or making sure liens are paid. Uh, And they've been somewhat complicating. Have you found uh, in your mediations that uh, some of these are getting a little bogged down? Well, we have to be concerned and and sensitive to uh, possibilities of a set-aside, possibilities of liens. you know, uh, cropping up at some point in the future and being assessed uh, double payments, uh, additional exposure. And, of course, carriers are becoming much more uh, sensitive to these things. And uh, I know that in the context of a structured settlement, uh, this is much more easily accommodated. And uh, one of the things that I would rely on a broker to uh, to handle to, uh, to make sure that that uh, exposure or potential exposure is covered if a set-aside is needed, that that is done, and um, uh, it would allay, you know, certainly the client's concerns, and it would be otherwise an impediment to a settlement. Yeah, Henry, I think you're absolutely right, and I think one of the things we're all finding is that a lot of lawyers are depending now on the structured settlement brokers who seem to have a, a real handle on the whole Medicare issue. We've been, we've been really into it, and... Uh, I don't think anybody's been into it more than Tom Murray. And Tom, why don't you give us a little update on what's happening now on the third-party cases? We all know that the workers' comp environment has had set-asides, and most of the lawyers and defense lawyers that work in the comp field have uh, have been dealing with it. But on the third-party side, we're getting all kinds of conflicting uh, views from some plaintiff attorneys that say you don't need set-asides, others that say, well, we probably should have them. So, Tom, give us a little update on uh, what's been happening there. Well, I think what's happened is that the Center for Medicare Services is now starting to hone in on third party as as a recovery agent, just as they've done on the workers' compensation side. The law went on the books in 1986 as Medicare secondary payer statute. But now, as they've seen the recovery process through workers' comp and the revenue that's being driven into the system, they're now saying we're going to enforce it on the third party side. Mm -hmm. To that end, They've come up with their responsible reporting entity criteria that's been uh, difficult to decipher. They've had to push back several start dates, but they're now honing in for January 2011. But uh, they're starting to hone in on, on specifics, and the plaintiff's bar is saying, well, what do we do? The unfortunate part is that we don't have anything definitive to tell them. Uh, you should make an allocation. The law is very clear on who's supposed to be making that, and it does encompass no-fault workers' comp, third-party disability. Any time that Medicare could have made a payment based on disability, their lien should be or their, their interest should be taken into consideration. What we're suggesting that the clients do is to make an allocation like they've been doing on workers' compensation using a reputable 
allocation firm and say, we have taken your interest into consideration and we've earmarked X number of dollars towards future medical. Uh, that way, if the center ever comes back and says, you did not take us into consideration, they can produce a document that said, yes, we did to the best of our ability, because at this point in time, there's no sign-off on behalf of CMS. Right. As that develops, I think we may find something more definitive coming out of the center to say, this is how we should handle the third party. But for right now, do the same thing you're doing on workers' compensation and earmark what the allocation should be used for. And, of course, Tom. Yeah, and of course, Tom. One of the things you, uh, you, you we find is that when you make that allocation by annuitizing it, you're minimizing the amount of cash from the settlement that needs to be involved in it. And uh, at the same time, talk a little bit about whether that money in that so-called set aside is self-directed or self-administered, uh, or whether self-administration you... and actual administration is, uh, I believe, going to also become a focal point because, uh, as every case is approved by the Center for Medicare Services, a definitive letter goes out on how you have to account for those money, and if the monies are not spent appropriately. Um, there can be some severe penalties back to the third-party provider that settled the case and provided the cash for the case. Uh, these are unclear issues right now and basically uncharted waters. Uh, and to to make it go away or, or to, to make sure that we've uh, satisfied all these issues, you should do the documentation that they're doing on workers' compensation. Keep it in the file and say, we have taken you into consideration, which is the only thing the statute calls for. You know, Henry, uh, you're you're there as a defense attorney representing and protecting, uh, let's say, the uh, you're insured, and in many instances, the insurance carrier obviously is very involved. Aren't they asking for language to be put into the settlement documents to, to kind of clarify the kind of attention that's been paid to these Medicare issues? Yes. Uh, I, I recently settled a case, a very... Uh, a multi-million dollar uh, case um, that uh, required a, a settlement agreement, and uh, there was quite a bit of uh, print given to uh, and concern uh, going back and forth between counsel to resolve uh, that uh, concern and to uh, to allay it because there, there certainly he, the plaintiff was on workers' compensation, but there were concerns that we would run into. Uh, a Medicare issue, and there was a lot of discussion regarding set asides and how to deal with it. So, it's 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 very much on uh, claim representatives' minds in in cases where there is a potential it's perceived. And uh, I think that um, there's a lot of discussion, seminars, meetings going on within the carriers to um, make the claim reps aware uh, at, to heighten their sensitivity of cases that might. Uh, that might need this uh, this kind of attention. No question about it. And I think it's going to formulate a stronger bond between defense attorneys and structured settlement brokers in trying to provide that kind of expertise and insight to the claim rep to make them feel comfortable that their interests are being protected as the plaintiff gets uh, gets their funds into, into the future. Well, with that, I think we should uh, wrap it up. And, uh, Henry, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Uh, the best way would probably be to drop me an email at henry, H-E-N-R-I dot demerse at uh, admlaw.com. Great. And Tom, how about yourself? That's Murray at ringlerassociates.com. Well, thank you very much. And I want to remind our audience that all of our Ringler Associates can be contacted on 
on our website, ringlerassociates.com. And of course, you can also access all of the Ringler radio programs from that website or from the legaltalknetwork.com. You can also uh, download all of the shows on t- uh, from iTunes and uh, play them right on your iPod, Henry, and you can walk around the park and uh, listen with those little earbuds in and uh, hear Tom Murray and yourself talking. That sounds cool, doesn't it? Just wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. I want to thank you very much for, uh, for uh, joining us today. And for the rest of you, I want to thank you very much for listening. Now go out and have a great day. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. In its sixth year on Legal Talk Network, with over a half a million listeners, Ringler Associates, where experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to all parties involved in physical injury claims. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential.